does God respond when his people are in trouble? When I have moments of struggle or hardship, there's always a fear in the back of my mind of God not responding to my situation or him forgetting about me. You know, if I look back throughout my life, it's clear that I can see his hand working in my life. But sometimes in moments, it's hard for me to perceive that. And this same pattern emerges in reading the Bible. Today on Stories of Scripture, we're exploring the story of the Exodus and how God miraculously rescued his people from slavery and oppression. Before we dive into Exodus, let's back up one book and just take a look about how we got here. So in Genesis, we've explored Abraham, who he was, how he kind of started this whole family movement that God was trying to do. Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob and Esau, which Jacob is the more important one for the story. And Jacob had 12 sons. And for most of the Abraham, Isaac, Jacob story, you know, the story centers on Canaan with some exceptions. But one of Jacob's son, Joseph, he finds himself down in Egypt through some devising of his brothers. He's enslaved through a variety of circumstances. He ends up being second in command in Egypt. Famine happens. Jacob's whole family eventually moves down to Egypt to be with Joseph. And the book of Genesis ends with Jacob's family, like Israelites, around 70 people in Egypt. And in fairly well regard just because Joseph is second in command there. As Exodus opens, a lot of time has passed. Jacob and Joseph and their family has all died out. Pharaohs have changed several times. And Israel has grown. And they've grown so much that the people of Egypt are fearful of the Israelites. They fear that if a foreign country invades, Israelites will take the side of the invaders, conquer Egypt, help conquer Egypt. So the solution to that fear is to enslave and oppress the Israelites. You know, it says, They worked at Israelites ruthlessly and made their lives bitter with difficult labor in brick and mortar and in all kinds of fieldwork. They ruthlessly imposed all this work on them. The more they were oppressed, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread and grew. When the slavery and oppression doesn't work, the Egyptians turn trying to kill them off. First, through trying to hoodwink the midwives, the Israelite midwives, into helping. Pharaoh told the midwives that if it's a boy, kill it. But if it's a girl, let it live. You know, the midwives, however, feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had told them. And they let the boys live. And God blesses them for their disobedience to Pharaoh for something this evil, for, this, for a command this evil. And when that doesn't work, Pharaoh commands all his people, you must throw every son born to the Hebrews into the Nile, but let every daughter live. And it's in the midst of this government policy, evil government policy, that a man and wife from the tribe of Levi, tribe of Levi, have a son. And they obviously don't want to see him killed, so they hide the son. But after three months, they can hide him no longer. So they get a basket, put him in it, and let set him out on the Nile River to see what happens. 
just so happened that Pharaoh's daughter finds the baby. She immediately recognizes him as a Hebrew boy and decides to take him in. Ironically, she pays Moses' mother to nurse him until Moses is old enough to come live in Pharaoh's courts. You know, years pass, Moses has grown up, and he goes out to his own people. There he witnesses an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. Moses kills the Egyptian and attempts to hide the body. But the next day, Moses realizes that people knew what he did. He became fearful, and so he ran away. He fled to Midian, he marries, and settles down for the life of a shepherd. One day, while he is watching his father-in-law's flock, he sees a bush burning on the mountain. But the interesting thing about this bush is it doesn't burn up. So Moses is curious. He goes and investigates. And as he approaches this bush, a voice calls out to him. God called out to him from the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am, he answered. Do not come any closer, he said. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. God proceeded to deliver him, Moses, great news. God has heard his people and their sufferings. God wants to rescue them. And he has chosen Moses to deliver the news to Pharaoh. Repeatedly, Moses turns God down. And he claims, like, I can't speak. But God tries to reassure him. He says, I will certainly be with you. He shares his name with Moses. I am who I am, or Yahweh. He gives him two signs, a staff that turns into a snake and a leprous hand. And in this conversation, God is getting annoyed at Moses and tells him, Now go, I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. When Moses again refuses, says the Lord's anger burned against Moses. But in the face of Moses' stubbornness, the Lord relents and actually chooses Aaron, Moses' brother, to speak for him. So Moses and Aaron team up. They travel to Egypt, and they tell the elders of Israel all that God has told them elders believe, and they all worship God together. And Moses and Aaron now go before Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh the news that God has told them. Exodus 5 says, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go, so that they may hold a festival for me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh responded, Who is the Lord that I should obey him by letting Israel go? I don't know the Lord. And besides, I will not let Israel go. So not only does Pharaoh refuse to let Israelites go, in response to this request, Pharaoh actually increases their burden. He orders them to make bricks, but no longer provides them straw. And the Israelites are upset by this. They say, may the Lord take note of you and judge, they said to them, because you have made us reek to Pharaoh and his officials, putting a sword in their hand to kill us. God and Moses tried to communicate that God has promised to rescue them from their situation. In Exodus 6, it says, Therefore, tell the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians and rescue you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. And also says, Moses told this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their broken spirit and hard labor. And it's after the little exchange with Pharaoh that the first of the ten plagues begin in Exodus. I'm not going to go into each one in detail, but a pattern emerges from most of these plagues. Moses communicates to Pharaoh to let my people go, 
so that they may worship me in the wilderness. Pharaoh's heart is hard, and he refuses to let the people go. And so God brings a plague. And these early plagues start out inconvenient, more on the level of inconvenience. With each passing plague, Pharaoh's heart hardens, and the plagues grow more destructive. Sometimes Pharaoh hardens his own heart, and sometimes God hardens it. And as the plagues go by, I think people begin to realize, like, Pharaoh should really let these people go, but Pharaoh refuses. And it's by the eighth plague, the locusts, that his officials even are like, we have to let these people go. Egypt is ruined. But Pharaoh refuses. And so this culminates in the tenth plague, the death of the firstborn. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says. About midnight, I will go throughout Egypt, and every firstborn male in the land of Egypt will die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, to the firstborn of the servant girl who is at the grindstones, as well as every firstborn of the livestock. Then there will be a great cry of anguish through all the land of Egypt, such as never was before or ever will be again. But against all the Israelites, whether people or animals, not even a dog will snarl, so that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come down to me and bow before me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you. After that, I will get out. And it's in the midst of this plague that God instructs Israel to participate in their first Passover. He says, I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both people and animals. I am the Lord. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt. The blood on the houses where you are staying will be a distinguishing mark for you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will be among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day is to be a memorial for you, and you must celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. You are to celebrate it throughout your generations as a permanent statue. So midnight occurs, and the plague comes. Now at midnight the Lord struck every firstborn male in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon, and every firstborn of the livestock. Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron during the night and said, Get out immediately from among my people, both you and the Israelites, and go. Worship the Lord as you have said. Take even your flocks and your herds as you have asked and leave. And also, bless me. So, in the outcome of this plague, Pharaoh kicks them out. And they don't just leave. They actually end up plundering Egypt. You know, God has instructed them to ask their neighbors for silver, gold, even clothing. So, as they're leaving, they are acquiring the wealth of Egypt. And the Israelites left. But, interestingly enough, so did others. You know, in chapter 12, it says, a mixed crowd also went up with them. So they leave Egypt, and they go, and they end up following God. In chapter 13, it says, The Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to lead them on their way during the day, and in a pillar of fire to give them light at night, so that they could travel day or night. And after they leave, Pharaoh and his officials change their mind. You know, they say to themselves, What have we done? We have let the Israelites go and lost their services. The Egyptians get their chariots ready and take off after the Israelites. 
when the Israelites see the Egyptian army coming over the horizon, they kind of freak out. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians coming after them. The Israelites were terrified, cried out to the Lord for help. In response to this, Moses says, Don't be afraid. Stand firm and see the Lord's salvation that he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you must be quiet. And then a little bit later it says, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back with a powerful east wind all that night and turned the sea into dry land. So the waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry land, with the waters like a wall to them on their right and their left. So God supernaturally rescues them from the situation they're in. He splits the waters. The Israelites go through. The Egyptians follow them. But God you know, sabotages them. Chariots stop working. And then eventually asks Moses to bring the waters back onto the Egyptian army. And so the Egyptian army is killed off. And when this happened, the people are in awe. When Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and believed in him and in his servant Moses. First, I would encourage you to read this story yourself. The bulk of the story comes from Exodus chapters 1 through 14. In revisiting our original question, how does God respond when his people are in trouble? So how does the story answer that question? We see God rescue his people when they find themselves in an enslaved and vulnerable situation. God's character, as revealed in the story, is one who cares about injustice, gives evil people numerous chances to obey, and he not only rescues, but supernaturally rescues in a way that demonstrates his authority over the world. And while God is rescuing them, the Israelites don't really respond in a way that indicates that they have a lot of trust in God. So God's not rescuing them because they earned it or because the Israelites are good enough. He's rescuing them because they're his people. And this story can also help us reflect on our own life. If we find ourselves to be someone who is disobeying God, know that God desires for you to change. And woe to those who find themselves against God because of their hard hearts. On the other hand, if we're on the receiving end of some persecution or oppression, this story gives us hope. It lets us know that God is in our court. It's not a promise of immediate rescue or action on God's part. But he is aware, and he desires for you to be free. So my parting thought will be from Exodus 14. This is what Moses says to the Israelites when they first see the Egyptian army coming, and they're kind of freaking out. He tells them, the Lord will fight for you, and you must be quiet. Another translation said, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. As a 21st century American who likes to do, who likes to stay busy, this verse is challenging for me. It's hard, and I think it's against my nature just to do nothing. But should I be waiting for God to take up my fight? It's a good thought to end on. God bless.
thank you all for listening. To find out more about the podcast, visit storiesofthefaith.org. You can like, subscribe, or block this podcast. Whatever you feel is the appropriate action to take is totally within your control. Until next time.